Welcome back or welcome to the Find Your Awesome podcast. I'm your host, Kelsey Abbott. I'm a confidence coach and instigator of joy, and I help spiritual adventurers remember who they are and why they're here so they can up-level with ease. Oh, friends, humans are funny. We really, truly are ridiculous. And I, in another podcast, I described us as awkward puppies. We're all tripping over our paws all the time. And one of the things that I find so amusing about all of us is the speed with which we will grab onto something negative. And it's like, I don't know, I'm making this up, but 10 times faster than how quickly we will grab onto something positive. Let me give you a personal example. So this morning on my run, my heel hurt and my head quickly went to all the spiral of worry and fear and what is happening and how long is it going to hurt and am I doing damage and all the things. After my run, I sat down to write my gratitude. And you know what I remembered? I remembered that I saw two rainbows this morning and a hawk. And that hawk called to me as I continued to walk my dog around our neighborhood. It was a completely magical morning. Later on in the day, I saw 1111, angel numbers. And you know what? All of that, it's like the universe was trying to say, trust, Kelsey, trust like a mofo. Trust. How many different ways do we have to tell you to trust, to, to, to tell you that you are supported, that you are loved, that everything that is happening is for your best? Just freaking trust. And yeah, I needed five, six, seven examples of it. I needed all the goodness to counteract that one thing then set me into a little worry spiral. And that's how humans operate. That's what we do. That's how we roll. We totally jump on that worry wart bandwagon and it doesn't serve us. And it takes consciously noticing and remembering the beauty that surrounds us. The nudges, the reminders that the universe sends us being like, Hey, Hey, I'm here. I got you. And yet we will still fall back in doubt. So here's what I'm working on right now. I'm working on trusting on offering it to the universe saying, I have no control over the outcome universe. You handle this, please. I'm offering this to you. And also, I'm still trying to cling to the outcome a little bit. So I'm offering that to you. But what I am going to do is I'm going to do everything that I can do. I'm going to focus on the process. I'm going to focus on the teeny tiny steps I can take every single day. I'm going to do my job and I'm going to do my best to stay out of your way, universe, so you can do your job. And I am going to trust like a mofo. So, friends, I invite you to do the same. Let's, we're all in this together. We are all awkward puppies tripping over our paws together. Let's make a big puppy pile, celebrate our ridiculousness, and try practicing trust. All right, so now into this week's episode with Jeff Lawton. He's an internationally in-demand relationship coach known as Your Relationship Architect. He's the author of a bunch of internationally best-selling books, and for 23 years, he's been guiding couples and individuals in designing and building conscious, spirit-led relationships and lives they truly desire. He's also an innovator in modern men's evolution and empowerment through his international, The Evolving Man, men's community. 
Inspired and taught by his marriage of 37 years, Jeff coaches people in having relationships and lives that go beyond the settling that so many people have come to accept to create truly expansive relationships that match their fully authentic selves. I had a lot of fun in this conversation. I hope you enjoy it. Friends, trust like a mofo and go forth and be awesome. I got you. And so does the universe. Hey, Jeff, I'm so glad you're here. Thank you for joining me for this adventure. Oh, my pleasure. I appreciate being invited. So the, the, um, the art behind you, I just noticed we were talking about it. It says the heart should do things without the brain's permission. Tell me about that, please. Well, it, <clears throat> firstly, my wife picked that out and she saw it in a store and she thought of me. And I think part of why that's so significant to me is that I spent probably the first 35 years of my life really having, I've always had a very rich, very deep heart, always emotional, very sentimental. I cry at chick flicks, you know, it, it, I've, I've been that kind of human. But being male, there was a lot, you know, growing up, that kind of heart got me hurt a lot. So I learned, like a lot of men do, to hide that part and substitute the mind for that. So in my teens and into my mid-30s, I lived, I tried to live as logically as I could. And I was okay with feeling certain feelings, but I had very little risk tolerance and a lot of key decisions, except for one very, very important one that I'll say in a moment. A lot of my decisions, career decisions, where to live, all, you know, important stuff was all based on the Department of Risk Analysis that lives up here all the time, all the damn time. And I just, ultimately by my mid-30s, I just finally had this epiphany that that approach was not making me happy. So the one exception to that approach was my wife. When I met her, on paper, it was like, are you kidding me? That my mind was like, no, no, this isn't, this would be really dumb. And, <clears throat> but my heart would not let me listen to what my mind was saying. And <clears throat> in spite of all the reasons why it made no sense for us to be together. No, no one got it about her and I. And, and, you know, both of our parents were like, oh, why would you? No. And my heart surrendered first. <clears throat> Pardon me. And then her heart surrendered. Because her mind was like, 
there's no way this is this is i'm not looking for a relationship because she had just been divorced i'm not looking for anybody and he seems like a nice guy but i'm not in the market but the heart never lies and we couldn't i finally wore her down with my heart and so in spite of the brain saying no don't do this um i did it and 37 years later i'm still beyond grateful that i didn't listen to this mm. that's such a beautiful story and it actually it reminds me a little bit of when i met my husband we used to say it was completely illogical that we would be together. And I remember saying, let's not listen to the logic fairy. Leave the logic fairy out of this. Yep. Yeah. Because there's nothing about love that's logical. No. No. There's no algorithm. No. Thank God. Yeah. Right? That would be messy. Indeed. So which came first for you? Following your own heart to your wife or becoming a relationship architect? Oh, definitely following my heart to my wife. Um, so here's how the dominance of the mind really ran me for a long time. Being with her, no brainer, literally a no brainer. Um, but I'd been raised in a, you know, typical kind of middle-class white family where men went to college, got a job, had a family, provided for the family, and did whatever it took to make sure that was all happening. So once she and I got together, she had a child by her first marriage who was nine when she and I officially became a couple. And then we ultimately, even though before we got married, she said, I don't want any more children. So don't, don't be with me if you really need to have a child in your life. Again, brain versus heart. Brain, I want a kid. Heart said, I want her more. So then we got married and she got pregnant on birth control at an age where your statistical odds of getting pregnant are very small. And so we had a child together, our son Mark. And so I had all of the right variables to make it completely reasonable that I need a job. And I had, a, I had a good job. I mean, any job that paid more than $5 an hour in 1981 was a good job. But it, it appealed to my ego. It gave me an opportunity to do one thing I did enjoy, which was writing. You know, you mentioned to me before we started recording that, you know, you used to be a science writer. I was a technical writer in an engineering company. And my job was to make a bunch of confusing shit make sense to, no. you know, lay. You didn't get to make it funny like I did. No, or no. Did you? <laughs> no. There was not much of a sense of humor in the engineering world. Yeah. So I had 
two kids and a mortgage and all that. So I spent 15 years in that corporate life and hating it. I'd say the first 10 were kind of cool because my ego totally dug that I was a psychology graduate working in an engineering firm and climbing up the corporate ladder because I could just figure stuff out and I could see what needed to be done and I was good at it. I was really organized. And then in my mid-30s, the breakdowns began to happen. And I should mention that by the time I was 35, I weighed 285 pounds and I looked like Jabba the Hutt with a beard. And other than my family, I was pretty miserable. So, but I felt, you know, I, I have a steady paycheck. That's the most important thing. So then um, because I was so heavy, ultimately the body breaks down when you're carrying that kind of weight and mine broke down when I tried to move a table and so I got to spend a month being bedridden because of how I had hurt my back doing that. So you tend to you know think a lot when you're lying in bed and you can't move and you can't take care of certain things that you're used to taking care of. And I really realized I had to change. But what I thought then that I needed to change was just my body. So I lost 100 pounds over a nine-month period. And I looked fabulous. I didn't change anything else. Dumb move. So I looked fabulous, still in a job that I hated. And so then anxiety attacks began to happen. And they got, you know, scary enough that I finally realized, okay, something is not right here, and I better start looking at what's really going on. So that was when I began doing inner work. And in doing that, like even within the first year, I really reconnected to my love for listening to people. I was doing that as a little kid. I loved listening to adults. My peers bored me half the time. And I had this ability to listen and go, well, why do you, you know, or have you thought about doing that? Even as a kid, I was doing that. And so getting into the world of transformational work as a client, you know, I reconnected with, wow, I really love these kinds of energetic spaces. I love this kind of work. Even if I'm looking at how I'm screwed up, it's still fun. It was fun in a lot of ways to do my work. And so that got the wheels turning. And then Sarah, my wife, she just got fed up with me whining about how much I hate my job. And I think she knew that the only thing that was preventing me from going where my heart, my spirit were, I mean, literally pulling me internally to go was fear. Am I going to be able to make a living? Am I going to be able to support you guys doing this? 
And she just said, I'll never forget it. She said, I would live under a freeway with you because you're more important to me than the money. That feels like an exhale. Yeah. That changed my life. I, I needed that permission mm-hmm. to get, because I could, my mind couldn't imagine that anybody could love me like that. Yeah. And love me enough that, all right, I'm willing to risk it all. Go for your dream. Go for what you really want to do. And I did. And so after a few years of coaching, the relationship architect thing, that came about because I was, you know, I was just doing kind of general life coaching. And then um, I had a client, an adult client, who sent her mom and dad to me. This was probably about 15 years ago. And they were in a then 34-year marriage and really not happy. And the daughter said, go see this guy. So they came and worked with me for four days turn their marriage around and I really had a blast doing it so that was another light bulb because a lot of the steps I've taken in the last 25 years none of them were really planned maybe I had a direction but I would get these intuitive you know oh should do this I moved to Colorado because of a billboard in Washington State. I see this billboard for this housing development and suddenly, oh, we need to move. And so that's how we got to Colorado from California. But anyway, (laughs) to get to keep answering your question. So more couples just began showing up and I really enjoyed it. I really treasure my delightfully imperfect marriage, but I really, honest to God, do not know a ton of people that have been together as long as we have that still like each other. They could live together. I know plenty of couples that stayed together for 50, 60 years and hated each other for most of that time. Oh, yeah. And I was not going to have that kind of relationship. I'd rather have no relationship than have that kind of relationship. So it really lit up for me that there probably were things that I'd learned in navigating my marriage for that long, surviving several different things that have happened that kill most couples. And we kept making it through and we really still love and like and enjoy each other. And I want more people to have that. Because without relationship at all, I don't mean romantic necessarily, but we're wired to connect and we're wired to be in relationship. And so anything that I could do to help people have that work more effectively, including the one with themselves, again, another no-brainer for me. I love it. I, I hear the grounded truth is so strongly in every word you say. Hmm. 
Cool. I also am getting this sense that, and we talked about this a little bit before we hit record and I didn't realize it until right now, but I get this sense that play is pretty important to you. It, well, I'll tell you the truth about me and play. As a kid, I think I had an innate desire to play, but I was incredibly shy, um, very, very introverted. And I have a speech impediment that I still have. And I had a cleft palate and a hair lip. So I looked funny. I talked funny. So my experience in elementary school, really up until about sophomore year of high school, my experience was either being made fun of all the time or being excluded, not included. I was... I was literally the proverbial last kid picked in PE for a team, right? So I became a very self-sufficient introvert and add to that that I was pretty smart and really curious and loved learning. So I was not a particularly playful kid. Now, um, having had to overcome... For example, one of my, like a terrifying fear of mine was having to get in front of people and talk. So now I do it for a living. I'm on <laughs> podcasts and interviews and webinars all over the damn place. And, and I really enjoy it. It has become part of play for me. So I had to learn to get play back. And there's some who know me well that would say I have room for more playfulness, but I definitely, for me, where play lives the most is in connecting and music. That's a huge passion of mine, listening, going to music. Um, so this is play for me. I feel you. Know, yeah. This is that. play for me too. Yeah. Yeah. I get that. <laughs> Um, I, there's so many similarities in our stories. I'm just loving this. <sighs> so you want other couples to be madly in, madly in love and having fun? Um, well, yeah, why not? <laughs> I mean, I, what I am on record as saying, um, on interviews in my books you know, love is not enough. Mm. It really isn't. That's really a crock that's been foisted on our culture, at least. And, you know, to me, love is the ante. You know, that's your ante to be in the game in the first place. So what I want is I want, yes, I want people to be able to experience what madly in love is thought to be. But over these three and a half decades that I've been with Sarah, I, and with age, you know, it really helps to keep getting older and more mature. Um, but what I know now that I didn't know when I was 24, we got together when I was 24, is that love goes so much deeper and has such a wider breadth 
than just, you know, goo goo, hormonal lust, all that stuff. That's all awesome. Mm -hmm. But the depth and breadth of what happens when you learn how to keep love going through adversity, through heartbreak or tragedy that happens, through just I want you to be the way I want you to be. Well, no, I want you to be the way I want you to be. All that stuff. If you can learn how to navigate through all that, then the depth of what love really turns out to be, that's what I want everybody to have. And I want them to have that with themselves. Because any of the stuff I do with couples... I always start with, all right, let's look at your relationship with yourself. Because that's informing everything that's happening between the two of you. Yeah. So that's, that's one of the passions. And the other passion I have around this kind of stuff is helping men not only have that, but also helping men be able to bridge the divide between this, which we're all conditioned to live in, and this, and how to have them work together in a really great partnership. And so I've also spent the last 19 years working with men at leading men's groups, leading workshops for men, one-on-one -on -one work with guys to help them come back alive. And you don't have to be a rocket scientist <laughs> to figure out why I'd love to do that because I remember being dead. So I know a few other men right now coaching men to be more vulnerable, to open their hearts. But 19 years ago, Jeff, I'm imagining you were one of the only ones leading that charge. Um, well, probably on the heart side. Yeah. Mm. I mean, I don't know that for a fact, but right. I was seeing I wasn't seeing that happening a lot. And I really fell into it because of a body of work, a, a men's weekend that had at that point been around for maybe 10, 15 years. And I went and did that weekend. And that totally, because my mom, got divorced when I was about six. So I grew up around women, my mom and my grandmother. That was my whole deal, mm -hmm. which thank God in a way, because I'm effective at what I do because I'm bilingual. I talk women, I talk men. Yep. And so I didn't like men. I didn't trust men. I was very conflicted about what kind of man I wanted to be or should have been. And when you have a son, that gets to be an inconvenient dilemma. So going and doing that weekend, I totally got my eyes open to, well, number one, there are a lot of great men out there. And there are a lot of men who are very deep and want to be deep and care about more than sex, cars, and money. And so I felt at home. And that was when I started men's groups because I got inspired by that. So that just has been a natural organic thread. So I don't think it was very common. 
And a lot of the men's work of that time, or even men's work that started in the mid to late 70s, was much more, my word for it would be, archetypal, helping men get connected to masculine archetypes. There was a whole phase of get your power back that was like really macho and almost went too hyper-masculine. Mm-hmm. And I was much more comfortable with my feminine. But, you know, by doing all this work with so many different types of men, it's helped me get more connected to the healthy masculine. And so I like to help guys get really familiar with both of those energies in them, align them with why they're here on this earth, what their soul is up to, and then live that in their career, in their families, in their marriages, you know, that's, yeah, I probably was a bit of a pioneer, but I wasn't the pioneer. Hmm. And I'd love, I just love what you just said. Um, What does healthy masculine mean to you? Um, Well, number one, it means that you do what needs to be done. You know, the masculine is very linear, A to B. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that that aspect of masculinity is what creates war, has created warriors for centuries. It also is when you have a problem that needs a solution. Healthy masculine is able to not be unfeeling, but to be able to contain feeling for a moment evaluate what needs to be done and then do it or if you can't do it to get the resources that are needed to get it done it also for me and i'm you know i'm in my 60s so i'm a bit old school i was raised by women who taught me to be respectful of women so i think healthy masculine is also that energy that doesn't let people mess with women and I love opening doors for my wife and other women I I'm really traditional that way so healthy masculine appreciates the feminine in women and in self because our emotions are very much connected to our feminine aspects and we need both right so healthy masculine is an energy that knows itself so if we're talking about healthy masculine in men you know yourself you have a high level of integrity you do your very best to keep your word and when you screw up you own it you clean it up and you try and do better you protect what needs protecting or asks for protection and really clearly needs it you you help other people other men in my case you help them see the beauty of the masculine and not to throw the feminine out with the bathwater. that's my healthy masculine and you also be direct you know there's a one of my favorite books is a book called no more mr nice guy And it talks about men that I was a sterling example of that 
would never want to say anything that would upset my girlfriend or my wife or my teachers or my parents. <laughs> yeah. So they learn how to be really nice men. And a lot of us in that boat, it's not that we're not nice, but there are a lot of guys in that boat who are doing that to manipulate well, you'll love me, you'll think I'm great, you'll give me everything I want because I am so awesome with you. Yeah. Doesn't work. And so then they also tend to come off as wimpy. And so healthy masculine also means you have healthy boundaries. If someone's messing with you or anyone you care about, you don't put up with it, you don't tolerate it. So, it's also about being able to be um, vulnerable, open-hearted, but having that masculine power that also knows when the shield needs to be put up to protect this thing, and will be direct, won't pussyfoot around, says what he means and means what he says, and is countable. And I'm, I'm going to use a word um, that isn't particularly uh, prosaic, but it really captures, I think, a key aspect of healthy masculine is you're unfuckwithable. I think that's prosaic, frankly, in my opinion. Yeah, yeah it's a little <laughs> but it, it makes the point. So to add to that, healthy masculine what does the healthy feminine in a balanced man look like or a balanced woman go wherever you want with that um for for this man and other men that i hold to be pretty well balanced it means that we feel for one thing, you know, healthy feminine, you can be incredibly masculine, but you're not an automatonic robot either. You have feelings. You don't run from your feelings. You don't need to pitch a tent in them either. But when they're up, you feel them. You look for what they're trying to tell you. Act accordingly from what they're trying to tell you. Um, it also means that you enjoy other people's feelings. You're willing and able to have empathy. You have a, a sense of conscience that I don't think you can just peg into masculine. Masculine energy has a code of honor to it. But feminine energy to me includes also that there's a deep, deep respect for the fact that connection is as vital a part of life as anything else. Mm -hmm. um, also, I would say that, and this is something I still work on with myself, healthy feminine in a man, because the feminine has so much to it around receiving and receptiveness, is letting yourself be loved letting others love you not being afraid to ask for support being able to admit 
you know, I'm, I'm really fucked up right now and I don't know what to do to be able to say that is that's the feminine and it's best. And then the masculine can kind of make sure you don't lose yourself in that as a male, mm-hmm. but you're not afraid. And if you're a parent, the feminine in a healthy masculine man is one that will also teach their kids, especially sons, that you have a heart, it's really good. It's not something to be ashamed of, nor are your tears, nor are your emotions. And here's how to take care of yourself with those so that you don't get your ass kicked either. So being, being connected enough to your heart to mentor your children in their own boy or girl, how to do that dance between their masculine and their feminine and see neither as a problem or less than the other. Yeah. We need them both. Cause if you just have your shield up and you're going forward, where's the connection piece? Where's the empathy piece? And if you're all empathy with no boundaries. Oh my God. (laughs) That was me until I was about 45. Mm -hmm. I've danced in that space myself as well. I had crappy boundaries. So, you know, and boundaries are also a function of how well they're taught and respected by your family when you're growing up. Yeah. That's the first place you learn about boundaries or whether they matter. So what do you, what do people need to know about boundaries? Um, Number one, you need them. You're really, you're, you're literally adrift without them and you're at the mercy of the entire external universe without them, literally at the mercy of it. So you have no power, you have no empowerment without boundaries. Boundaries, quite simply, you know, to simplify something that there's a hundred different books about, boundaries are literally the rules of the road, but they're the rules of your road. You know, you can talk to me like this, but you don't get to talk to me like that. You can ask me to do this, but you don't get to ask me to do that. Mm -hmm. I like it this way. I don't like it that way. That you know, if, if you have vampires in your life, energetic vampires, someone with boundaries will say, I'm sorry, my neck is no longer available to you. Whereas a person with no boundaries, especially somebody who feels that the only way they could know that they're loved is if somebody needs them, will just let them... Here, take both veins. They're they're plenty to go. Yeah. Yeah. That's a really good description. I'd start there. <laughs> and then the other piece I wanted to ask you about was oh the doing. Mm-hmm. So the masculine energy is the doing. And I've heard people get tangled up in before well if it's supposed to be a balance between being and doing, how do I, like, what is that balance? How do I find that balance? Well, 
again, I'll speak for me, and th this is really a centerpiece of what we do with all the men that are involved in our groups and our work, is we believe, we, we, we meaning me and my partner that run this men's work, both of us have found through a lot of hard knocks and experience that living with the, the ego as the captain, navigator, pilot is not good. It, it doesn't, it just keeps you in a hell of its own making more often than not. So because a big part of my opening and becoming a coach and leaving corporate coincided with me getting reconnected to a spirituality that really, you know, lit me back up and a path that lit me up and has kept me lit ever since. I'm, we say the doing has to be in the service of the being. It starts with the being and the being is really, ideally the being is driven by, some people would use the word purpose, What's your, what's your purpose as best you know? Which is not what you do as much as what are you here to experience yourself as and then give as a gift? Mm. What is that? The being has to be aligned with that and then the doing needs to be aligned with the being. You know, in a way, it's very much like I'm, you know, until I was, you know, well into my life, I lived by my mind. And then my heart got its little crumbs wherever it could. Now, the way I look at it, my mind or the doing, and the mind is a really good thing. I'm not knocking the mind, but the mind thinks it's God. And to me, our soul is the divine. And this is really great. If this says, go there, this is irreplaceable to figure out the best way to get there. And that's how I relate to being and doing. My being says, I want to feel like X. Or my heart aches about this issue, and I'm going to do something about it. Then the doing can go, yes, sir, and come up with the way for how that's going to work and be able to have it hopefully work in the real world and not just because the heart is so beautifully conceptual. But you've got to be able to translate it into the 3D universal rules and parameters that we live in until they change and evolve. So. That's that was a bit of a long-winded answer, but that it was a perfect answer. It I thought of a bunch of things. So, like when we're in, is this a balance between the being and the doing? When we're in too much being, we can be disconnected. Yep. From and yeah, look like we're totally out in outer space. Yep. But when we're in too much doing, that's that busy, busy, busy. There's no there's no spark behind what you're doing. No. no. Well, yeah, there's no spark. There's no heart. 
Yeah. There's no internal guidance. Mm -hmm. So something I learned that's been really, really helpful. You know, when I was in corporate, I was a workaholic. I used to work 60, 70 hours a week. And it felt like a really noble thing to do. But I can look back on it now and see, you know, it was all doing, being driven by fear and being driven by an egoic attachment to approval. Yeah. And what my, and my value being totally dependent on how I looked, how much money I make, blah, blah, blah. So um, I think that when you're doing in service of the being, you can work hard because there's you contrary to the secret shit doesn't happen by you sitting on your couch stuff happens because you're working hard you're in action the key difference is i don't tend to get anywhere near as tired or worn out when i am doing a lot for what my being is here to have happen then it few, I feel alive, mm-hmm. I have energy. But when you're just doing, doing, doing to feed the ego monster, then you get burned out and you have something happen like what happened to me when I was 35. The body, you get fat, you, you get out of your body. I wasn't even connected to my body all that time. And you're gonna break down. Your health is gonna break down. I want to actually go back to that point, how you, you managed to lose a ton of weight and were you connected to your body when you did that? Um, I'd say a bit more, certainly more than I had been before I ballooned up. Um, and I felt better in my body. Um, but then when I was still in the last few years of my corporate life, and I was starting to build my coaching practice at night and on weekends, um, I went back to some old habits. And when you work that hard or that long, eating was not a healthy thing. So I was very much in my ego, fear, all that. Now, just in the last year, um, I'm much more connected to my body. Um, I lost 40 pounds last year. So I'm at a weight now that I think I was last in when I was 20. Wow. And I'm definitely in my body and I love working my body. I exercise five days a week and I'm enjoying my body more than I ever have. Okay, so one of the things I wanted to ask initially, and I think I'm still I'm still curious about this. How did you how did you lose a bunch of weight with getting connected with your body a little bit and without really doing any inner work? Um well, really it was masculine discipline. Mm. I, yeah that's really the stone cold truth of it. I, you know, most of us don't change until we heard enough. Right. Right. And so when I spent that month in bed 
and went through all the indignities that came with it. And I was only 35. That, you know, it's like, oh, for God's sake, get your shit together. Yep. And I was so committed to never being in that position again. It just was the discipline to change my eating, to go to the gym every day. Um, a lot of patience because it took eight or nine months. So it was discipline and having to remember the level of suffering that I'd been in carrying all that weight that that was motivation for me to do it and then the inner work came after because we can get a lot of a lot done from just that masculine doing energy yeah but it leaves a lot left to do absolutely and knowing what the what what's determining the course i mean you know i still i have mornings this morning was one of them I woke up and said, oh my God, I don't want to go work out. I, you know, I want to go back to sleep. But the masculine is the part that gets your butt out of bed yeah. and goes and does what you say to yourself that you're going to do. Because mm -hmm. the healthy masculine also stays in integrity first and foremost with himself. Mm. So if I say I'm going to work out and I'm not going to let myself get heavy again, then the healthy masculine in me, no matter what my mind is trying to negotiate with me, oh, you can go tomorrow. No. Get the hell up and go get her done. Yeah. I love... You're, you're providing these little, these little gems are popping up and everything you're saying. There's so much that is familiar to me. And then you've, you've just hidden all these little gems along the way. And I'm loving this conversation. Well, thank you. Me too. What, what question do I, I have three questions that are coming up. Um, so let me ask you, what do you want to say that you haven't said yet? Wow, great question. Um, hmm. Stop waiting. We don't have time. Every one of you watching, you don't have time to wait for some ideal thing to happen, to wake up, to love with everything you've got, repair what needs to be repaired, go after the dreams that you've been putting on the back burner. Stop waiting. That would be. Time is running out. Yeah. Yeah. My time is right now. Absolutely. I, you know, I've had, I've had several deaths in my orbit in the last five months. Mm-hmm ranging from 40 to mid 70s and you know granted i'm i got a lot less in front of me than i used to yeah but just seeing you know it, it just continues to be a nat it's natural 
to not think about that reality. But I think it's more important now than it's ever been in my lifetime anyway, that you, you realize that anything you think about what's coming to you or a timetable that you can afford to wait on is the ultimate arrogance. So stop waiting and start living. We're, we're going to wrap this up on that because I don't think we can top it. So Jeff, where can people learn more about you? Uh, can you give us the names of your books, any other resources, just yeah. all the things, please? You bet. So uh, my website is yourrelationshiparchitect.com. And uh, on Facebook, my business page that has all kinds of stuff on it about me and my books and videos and stuff is uh, facebook.com build your dream relationship and then i have a youtube channel with tons of videos um, where i talk about relationship stuff um, so that's your relationship architect on youtube and then anybody that's listening to this that wants to learn more about the men's work i do that site is the evolving man so that's two e's t-h-e and then evolving man.com uh, and my books are on Amazon. Um, Built to Last was book number one. Uh, designing and maintaining a loving, lasting, and passionate relationship. And then my second book was called Building a Conflict Proof. Not free. It's not conflict free. It's conflict proof relationship. So both of those are on Amazon. Excellent. Thank you. Thank you so much for sharing your wisdom and your energy with me today. And thanks for sharing it with our audience. Oh, my pleasure. I totally enjoyed this. You, thank you very much for bringing me on. You're welcome. Thank you so much for listening. If you'd like to continue the conversation, please head over to Facebook and join the group, Find Your Awesome with Kelsey Abbott. It's free. And if you want more than that, go to my website, kelseyabbott.com. And there you can sign up for my newsletter and get a series of free guided meditations. And I would really appreciate it if you could head over to the podcast app and leave a review of the Find Your Awesome podcast. Your reviews help other people learn about this podcast. Thank you so much. That's all I've got for you, friends. Go forth and be awesome.